So this morning, <clears throat> we are continuing on with our series, Mentored, talking about discipleship through the lens of the Sermon on the Mount, through Jesus' teaching of what it means to follow him and what that looks like. For the last couple of weeks, we've been working through these uh, passages from the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, we talked some about adultery and uh, not just <clears throat> Jesus is after more than just new or better law followers. He's actually after people with a, with a renovated heart. And we're talking some about that. This week, we dive into a way deeper and complicated subject, talking about marriage and divorce. And trust me, I know from my own experience how difficult, how painful this can be. Um, unlike sins of, say, like greed or slander or pride or gossip, um, divorce is something that's out there and it's our past and we can't do much to change it. And so um, I wanted to address it and to say and to dive into what Jesus has said and what, he's te- what he is teaching us. We need this teaching in our culture today. Um, we desperately need Jesus' word. Marriage and divorce have messed up our culture. We see people who go through relationships and through marriages. We see the effect it has on kids, the effect it has on our society and our friends. Uh, when it comes to divorce, it's about 50-50. Um, about one out of two marriages end in divorce. And the troubling thing is that it's the same statistic whether you're a Christian or not. Um, not only that, but it's also extremely painful. I know some people in our church family uh, have known or experienced this pain of divorce, um, myself included. And I know the, the vulnerability that comes with um, because it's easy for people to make judgments or to condemn. So it leads to this question, what do we do with Jesus' text? What do we do with this passage um, when he teaches about divorce and remarriage? And I know some of you have asked this question, maybe not uh, this last week, but over the course of your lives, you're asked, how do we do this? Jesus, we want to follow you faithfully. What does it look like? What does it look like for our friends or for people we care about who have gone through or experienced divorce? What does Jesus say about divorce and remarriage? So let's dive into this, into this passage. All right. So Jesus is still speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. And he's saying to, the, um, to his disciples, he says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, this is a little bit, I want to give you some of the background, some of the culture, because marriage in the first century in Israel was very different than it is for us today. Um, in first century Israel, um, women, um, in our culture, we try to, to do our best, especially as Christians, to treat our wives, um, to treat our wives well. Um, they are able to make decisions and help out and things. But in the first century, women were much more, not entirely, depending on the husband and the relationship, but women were much more like property. Um, for example, and to, to marry someone in the first century, you, uh, a, a young man, uh, probably in his, maybe his mid-20s, maybe even as old as his 30s, but probably more like his early 20s, would go to a woman's father, a young girl's father, and he would um, arrange to be married to his daughter. Um, oftentimes, girls were married in their early teens. And, um, and it was more of a transaction, um, sometimes the, the young girl and the young man, they didn't even, they might have just made, like only sort of no, kind of known each other, but they didn't court, they didn't, uh, they didn't date for a month or two years, they didn't, certainly didn't live together. 
It was very different. And then the young woman, she would be, they would be betrothed or they would be, like we would say, engaged, usually for about a year. And then uh, there would be a marriage ceremony and they would be married the expectation for the rest of their lives. Now, it's interesting because um, in this passage here, it's talking some about divorce. Actually, in first century Israel, women couldn't divorce. Women didn't have that right. Only men could divorce women or divorce their wives. Uh, and if they did, if you were to divorce a woman in the first century, uh, it pretty much ruined her life. Um, because in, in Israel and in Jewish culture, um, having a virgin or having a wife to be in the first marriage, that was beautiful and honorable. But the moment a woman was divorced or had multiple uh, partners, multiple sexual partners, she was viewed as uh, more like an adulteress, more that she had been defiled, that she was no longer pure or clean. And so um, for a woman to then live the rest of her life without uh, the help of a husband or a father or son often meant that she had to beg to survive. Um, we see that too, like in, in scripture, like the, the ministry to, to widows. Um, that was a di- bit of a different situation. Those were women whose, whose husbands had died, um, and so they cared for them. But uh, a woman couldn't just go get her own job like in our culture today. She relied on, if she had sons, she would rely on a son to take care of her or a son-in-law. Um, or if her father was still alive, she would rely on her father. But women couldn't just go get their own jobs. It wasn't like that. It was very difficult for a woman, especially if she was divorced. And marriages, they weren't, like we said, you know, most of us, uh, we've been married. Uh, Our parents didn't arrange our marriage. We met, like for example, like I met Tracy and got to know her some, and then we together um, decided that we wanted to be married. It's very different than the first century where a father and a husband or or a father and a young man would work out basically a contract and then the wife, then the young girl would be married to him and they would become a husband and wife. Um, Another interesting thing, uh, it's not real common, but or wasn't, I don't know how common it was actually, I should say, but it's that in Israel it was accepted. I don't know if I would say it was good or or, uh, encouraged, but it was accepted to have multiple wives. But that's usually more a function of wealth because you had to pay a dowry every time you got married. So uh, poor people, poor men couldn't afford multiple wives. Um, but that was a practice when Jesus is speaking these words. Uh, so, um, but it's interesting to hold how or to read about uh, in the New Testament. Um, Timothy speaks about it specifically to leaders that you would be a husband of one wife. So even by the time by the time the New Testament is kind of gathered and Jesus as well speaks and encourages um, marriage of one man and one woman, um, advocating against or speaking against um, polygamy of marrying multiple women. All right, so this is just some of the background. And so it's into this situation that Jesus says, it has been said anyone who divorces a wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Now, the reason Jesus is speaking about this is because in the first century, this was a debated issue. Uh, about what were the proper grounds for divorce. And it was actually a debate between two famous rabbis of the time, uh, Rabbi uh, Shammai and Rabbi Hillel. And so uh, Shammai, he was saying that um, only for the sake of, um, of adultery, for a wife that was unfaithful, then you could divorce her. 
Hillel was actually referring to Deuteronomy, we'll get there in a second, where he's saying, if you find anything unpleasant about her, you can divorce her. Uh, which you can imagine people trying to figure out, okay, where is the gate or where is the fence on that? Where is the boundary? And there was lots of debate to things. Even some said if, if you found a, a, a woman that you found was more attractive, then you kind of technically found something wrong with your current wife, you could divorce her. There were some that were even trying to advocate for that approach. And so Jesus is speaking into this debate, into this situation. All right, so it comes from uh, Deuteronomy, way back in the Old Testament. Um, so it begins with this. It says, if a man, so this is the text, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, so this is where some of the difficulty comes, because he finds something indecent about her. Now, I want to be careful here. The indecent about her is um, eret dabar, which um, means like almost like the nakedness of a thing. That's literally what it means, the nakedness of a thing. Um, that same short phrase isn't used very often, but when it is, it's something kind of impure or indecent. And so the scholars think that this is probably not um, adultery that, that Moses is talking about here because adultery um, you didn't divorce for. You actually, uh, a wife or a woman was stoned if she had committed adultery. That was the Old Testament practice. And so they're thinking this actually might be something that um, maybe like a physical defect or something or something that, that made it impossible for a husband and wife uh, to be together. Maybe like she was unable to have children or something. So this unholiness. It's, it's really vague um, and it's difficult because this is one of the few teachings on divorce in the Old Testament and yet this is what the rabbis are bringing to Jesus. Um, this is some of the debate that he was facing. And so this is the text. It says this and then it says um, if you find something indecent about her and he writes her a certificate of divorce give it to her and sends her away from his house and if after she leaves this house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her, and writes her a certificate of divorce, or, and gives her and sends her away from her house, or if he dies, so all of these qualifications, all of these things happening together, then her first husband, who divorced her, is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. So, all of these conditions, this is very a very specific, actually this text which was used to explain divorce in the Old Testament is speaking very specifically, to, to condense it all down, of that it's not allowed for a person, for a man to divorce his wife, have her go marry somewhere else, and then for some reason she becomes available again for him to remarry her. That's the thrust, that's the point of this passage. And yet it had been used to to make an excuse that men could divorce their women or divorce their wives for any reason. And Jesus is going to say that is not, that is not God's desire uh, for numerous reasons, but one of the main ones because it is catastrophic for a woman. Um, in the first century, she would have been destitute uh, for a husband to divorce her for something trivial that is finding something displeasing. So he says, for all this, then um, the first husband... Um, shouldn't remarry her because that would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord and do not bring sin upon the land or your Lord that God has given you to an inheritance. So this is the passage. And you see, the thing is, the rabbis were um, reading this text and trying to say that, that you could divorce. So some rabbis are saying you could divorce for any reason. 
Some are saying no, only for um, like uh, adultery. And Jesus is speaking into the situation with his disciples. All right. So it's interesting because the rabbis, they're trying to figure out where is the fence? You know, where is the boundary? How far can we go? And Jesus actually tries to bring them back to the center. And so this is from Matthew 19 where Jesus teaches a little bit more about divorce. And he says, he's speaking to the Pharisees now. He says, haven't you read um, that, the beginning, that, it, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together let no man separate. So Jesus is saying, don't, don't focus on the boundaries, on what you, the very limit of what you can't do. He's saying, spend time or focus on the center, what God intended. That husbands and wives would become one, that they would share a life together and bless each other. They would, if God is willing, they would have a family and that it would be good and rich and healthy. That's what God desires. So then the Pharisees asked him, they replied to him, they said, so why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? See how they're twisting a bit? They didn't, Moses didn't command it, he actually allowed it. And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of hardness of your hearts, but it was not this way from the beginning. The point of all this is Jesus is teaching. In his time, people were trying to figure out, okay, how far can we go before we like, technically sin? And Jesus is saying, that's not the point. Following God or being faithful to God is not trying to live your life at the boundary, figuring out how far can I go before I've actually sinned, but actually to remain at the center, to remain close to Jesus, so that we're not even desiring to do sinful things or even get as close as we can without actually crossing the line, that we stay close to him. All right, so... Jesus is speaking to his disciples, says, it has been said, and you kind of get the background of why he starts here. But then Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. All right, so let's just break this down. The first one is except for marital unfaithfulness. This word here behind this is porneia, um, which in New Testament kind of, um, theology and understanding of this word porneia means any sort of marriage outs- or sorry any sort of sex outside of marriage so that includes adultery um, so so that's what kind of we're getting at here and so they in most uh, English translations translate it as like adultery or marital unfaithfulness okay um, and this exception here it applies actually to the whole thing you know, some people have, some scholars have looked at this and said, well, you can divorce for unfaithfulness, but you can't remarry for unfaithfulness. And actually, Greek doesn't really work that way. Um, Greek, um, we use in English, we use sequence of words to, to make meaning. And that happens some in Greek, but you can have the words out, sort of for English speakers, out of sequence. And it's more about um, understanding how they fit together. So this one is actually saying that for the whole thing, whether it's um, if... If it's for marital unfaithfulness, you can be divorced and remarried. All right. So, um, the next thing I want to to point out here is, so that's the exception that Jesus gives here. Um, um, And then it says, actually, I missed one. 
Um, but I wanted to just say this one thing. It says, causes her to become an adulteress. Sorry, I'm going to go back. Um, right here where it says, causes her to become an adulteress. The assumption in the first century was that a woman would be married, that she needed to be married. So if she had been divorced or sent away, maybe, for example, like in the what Jesus is teaching against here, if a woman maybe, um, I, I, I hate to, it's kind of embarrassing to say this, but they, they were, the rabbis were debating, like, could you send your wife away? Could you divorce your wife if she had burnt the food? Um, like you found something like, quote unquote, displeasing about her. And so, can you imagine if someone had done that? If a man, um, because of the hardness of his heart, because of his brokenness and sinfulness, sent his wife away because he didn't like the way she cooked food. And it's probably bigger than that, but maybe that was his excuse. And now she becomes unable to even survive. She basically is left to beg or be a burden on her son or her father. So she typically would remarry. So the assumption here is that when you, in the first century, if you divorce a woman, a woman had like almost hardly any options but to be married again. And so he's saying here, actually, guys, you're the ones who force her to become an adulteress, to marry someone else. All right. And then this last part here, it says, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. So, you know, this is, um, this is where it gets really complicated um, because there are people in our church family here um, who are divorced and remarried, uh, myself included. Um, and this is a hard teaching, um, especially for those of us who are in this situation. So, so what do we do with this teaching? this thing that Jesus has taught. And I'm going to do my best to walk this very thin line, I think, between encouraging us to do, to actually do what Jesus says, because I think he's serious, and I think he means it, but also to remember that everything that Jesus is saying right now, the context of what he's saying is gospel. He's saying this inside the gospel. And what I mean by that is if we repent and ask for God's forgiveness, he forgives. And his, his, his grace is complete. So let's, go, let's keep moving forward here, okay? So one option would be legalism. To say that um, anybody who um, is divorced is sinful and there's nothing they can do about that. Or if they're sinful, they may not remarry. That's one option to go. And I think that's especially appealing. Maybe not appealing is the right word, but I think people who have had a marriage or who've been married to one person their whole life, and maybe if they've really worked through some hard times, I think legalism can be tempting. And why I say that is because it's tempting to say, like, well, my marriage wasn't easy, and we worked it through, and so everybody else should have to as well. It would be great if it were that simple. It's not. So I, I'm encouraging us to avoid the option of legalism. The other one is relativism. And what I mean by that is to say, well, Jesus was talking 2,000 years ago. Marriages were completely different then. Things are completely different now. Um, we can take Jesus' word with a grain of salt. <laughs> That's not what we can do either. If we really want to follow Jesus, we can't just do that either. Because if, it, if we start here, then where does that stop? So, 
I'm trying to find us this faithful way across this really thin line, it feels like, of being faithful to what Jesus has said within the context of the gospel and understanding it in our lives. So here's a few things that we can say about marriage. First of all, Jesus wants us to stay married at all costs. He wants us to stay married. He talked about it. He quotes Genesis 2. He said, two become one flesh. What, what, what God has brought together, let no one tear it apart. So work on our marriages. If you are married, work on your marriage. All right. The other one that I think we can draw from this is that divorce is a horrible, sin-soaked option. Nobody comes out clean or blameless. And I can say that from my own experience. There's definitely, I mean, there's, I was thinking about it this week, this is one of the complicated things, like with divorce and relationships, there are so many different complications or different ways that that happens between men and women and the situation. Yet all of us, um, if you go through divorce, everyone comes out with their hands dirty. But there are some exceptions that, that happen in Scripture. One of them is here in this passage. Jesus talks about for the, for the sake or for the matter of pornea, for um, sexual infidelity, um, or any sort of sexual relationship outside of marriage, outside of the marriage. So that's one exception that Jesus gives here. Another one is Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, he's talking to believers there, and he says, he's speaking to believers, he says, you know, believers, if and you should stay married, but if you are uh, married or you become a follower of Jesus and your spouse abandons you or leaves you, he says you're no longer bound. So many biblical uh, scholars have worked through that and have come to the conclusion that that too is the possibility. So if, if, if your spouse leaves you, abandons you, then you're no longer bound. Now, there are these exceptions. So, for example, if you are married and your spouse commits adultery and you're saying to me, Jason, um, I'm free. <laughs> like, they committed adultery, it's over, I'm done with them, I'm getting divorced. As hard as it would be and as, delicate, as le- delicately as I could, I would encourage you to reconcile. I believe that God still wants us, still wants marriages to work. He wants us to stay together. Now, having said all of that, I also realize um, that that, always, that doesn't always work. And I can speak of that from my own life. I also think, too, that as I'm reading this passage, that remarriage, we need to be really careful about that, how we go about that. In our culture today, it's pretty, pretty well assumed you know, that remarriage is almost like a right um, to have a, a, a sexual partner for the rest of your life is almost, in our culture, it's become almost like you're not quite human um, unless, you, unless you have a partner, which is not right or true. Um, there are plenty of faithful people who are single, and I think they are doing their very best to follow God. And I think God honors that. I also think, too, is that if we are divorced, divorced and remarried, um, that this passage that we are reading today is set within the gospel. 
And I, what I mean by this is that nowhere in Scripture, now it's difficult, you want to be careful making arguments from silence. And what I mean is, because we're kind of assuming what Jesus would say, but we do know that nowhere in Scripture does Jesus or Paul say, and if you are married a second time, you should divorce from your second spouse. Nowhere does he say that. And nowhere does Jesus say that, should, that these second marriages are wrong. All right. The, in fact, um, I think also thinking about too about grace this week and about Jesus, how he does interact um, with particularly with women who have been caught in adultery. One of them uh, is the woman at the well. If you remember in John's gospel, he's at the well, at the well in Samaria and um, Jesus says, go and tell your, your husband that I'm here talking with you. And she goes, uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the guy you're with now is not your husband either. Um, and yet he's still gracious with her. And in this ironic way, she becomes an evangelist and goes and tells the rest of her village about him. Or I also think about, too, about uh, John chapter 8 and the woman who is caught in adultery, which is pretty telling that they bring the woman, not the man, um, how wrong things were. And Jesus, looking at the woman after everything had been said and done, he says, where are those who condemn you? And she says, they've all left. And he said, um, if they don't condemn you, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus is gracious. That's ultimately where we end um, everywhere in this church is with grace. That there is grace. But it's grace for those who repent. And I want to be careful with that because I have heard Christians say, I know divorce is wrong, but I'm just going to do this and then ask for forgiveness afterward. That's not what Jesus intended. That's not what he died for. <laughs> That's not what he sacrificed himself for, is that we could abuse or that we could undo <laughs> or go against what he's taught and then just say, and then I'll just ask for forgiveness when I'm all done with what I want to do. That's not what he intended. But as a church family, we need to respond to each other with grace. And when we have the opportunity, when we have a relationship with somebody and they trust us and they know us to speak the truth in love, I've had to do that a few times in my time as pastor here. Um, But like the gospel... We end with grace. That's where the gospel ends as well. And I was thinking about um, sharing my own experience about divorce and how um, maybe this can help us. So um, my first wife, her name was Alicia. And I wanted to say that she's, she's, I mean, I don't really know her anymore, but at that time she wasn't like some monster. She wasn't some evil villain from a movie. Um, and I realized, too, looking back, you know, that, that we were both failing um, at our marriage. It wasn't just her. Um, when um, we'd been married a couple of years, and she began um, seeing a guy that she worked with. And then after a few months, she left, said she couldn't stay with me. And so um, for the next year, I did the best I could to be reconciled with her. Um, Definitely messed up a few times uh, in terms of, you know, arguments with her or things, the way that I uh, talked with her. Um, but I did the best that I could. Tried to follow Jesus faithfully, and which is ironic because I wasn't very serious about faith. 
until she left. Then I started meeting with my pastor, and I started, well, I met with a guy who became my pastor, is probably the more accurate way to say that. started meeting with a Christian counselor, trying to get help to walk this faithfully. Um, Try to be as faithful as I could to her and to Jesus. Um, and I consistently, I remember constantly telling, or not constantly, but consistently saying, I think the best thing we can do is work this out. I think the best thing we can do is stay together. And I wanted to say this too because I've you know, had even a conversation this week with somebody, a friend of mine, who's, um, who's separated and is um, kind of trying out a couple new relationships. And, and I actually met Tracy um, so um, while I was still technically married. So I met Tracy in a Christian counseling class. And, um, and I remember avoiding her. <laughs> um, I'd met her, you know, and talked to her. We had actually, ironically, we had this sort of same Bible cover. It was like this green sort of army thing. Anyways, weird. Anyways. But, um, um, and I remember avoiding her because she was beautiful and because for me at that time she was dangerous. And we talk about it later, you know, one of our friends, uh, who was actually the wife of the counselor that I'd been talking with, he'd kind of said, you know, kind of put us together. And she thought, you know, what do you think of Jason? Because she kind of knew me. And, and, and Tracy said, well, what is it to think? Like, he's married. So nothing. <laughs> um, but I remember avoiding her. I remember um, one time she was having a get-together at her house. And she said, you know, I've got some friends coming over. If you want to come, you're welcome to. And I said, you know, thanks, but I won't. Uh, I'm still married. And that's just not a good place for me. Um, I say that to, you know, because I know um, what it's like when you are looking at uh, separation from your spouse and, um, and you're looking at, man, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And you start thinking, well, maybe this person, maybe I still can find happiness. And it's really tempting to, to get out of one relationship and because of the pain we feel to jump right into another one. And um, it is not easy, trust me, I know, but to encourage you that it can be done. Um, it's interesting too, the things that came from that, like how I grew in that, that I can look back at that time with Tracy and I... Um, the right word to say it. Um, I think I did it well. I did the best I could, and I think I did it well. And what I mean by that is <laughs> Tracy and I didn't uh, even go on a date or anything uh, until after I was legally divorced. And I was talking with my pastor and my, and my counselor at the time, and they were kind of encouraging me and praying along with me uh, through this. Um, and I do remember that day when Alicia called me. I was actually driving from my grandpa's house. I can still see it. Um, she called and said, you know, I've signed the paperwork. Um, the divorce is final. You can come sign your part now. And I remember saying to her, you know, I, I understand. I realize I still think the best thing for us is to stay together. And she said, well, I, I disagree. So... Um, I look back on that experience, and you know, I I wasn't innocent in it. I mean, marriages don't fall; they don't break apart. Well, not usually, at least, just because one person has it's all on one person. I realize that I have my hands are dirty too. I have sin in it as well. Um, 
but I did the best I could. Uh, when, when she left, even though she was with another guy, I did the best I could to stay with her, to reconcile, and to work through it. Um, and, and that's been meaningful for me for my life. And that's something that I encourage other people. When I talk with other people over the years, and as they talk about wanting or in the process of getting divorced, is to do the best you can, because you will never regret that. But you will regret if you start um, cutting corners or start your own relationships because your your spouse was unfaithful to you. Um, I think through those things, like we can actually follow Jesus faithfully in that. I know this is kind of a special or a particular teaching that Jesus has because many of you are still married to your first spouse. And bless you in that. I'm happy for you. Um, I hope you maybe this morning appreciate how lucky you are, how fortunate you are, how blessed you are in that. Um, I would encourage you not to lean on the fence. <laughs> well, we're not divorced and I won't get divorced, but don't lean on that fence. Like, stay at the center. And what I mean by that is work on your marriage, keep working on your marriage. You know, Jesus here is talking about divorce, but ultimately I think if he were here today, he'd be telling us to keep working on our marriages. Um, what he gave, what the Holy Spirit gave Paul to say when he said, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave yourselves, give yourselves up for her. I think about that sort of um, teaching from Scripture. Um, to those of us who are remarried, uh, this morning, I hear grace for you. Your grace for us. Um, that we, more than any other, uh, know, we know that we have to keep working on our marriage. <clears throat> for those of you who feel like your marriage is in trouble, um, I want to encourage you to stay married. Uh, maybe the fence is all you have right now. Maybe the, the fact that Jesus says, do not be divorced, Maybe that's the only thing keeping you right now. Um, I would say do your best, obey it. And move as close as you can to the center in terms of, of Jesus, get closer to him, and keep working on your marriage. Um, if you feel like you're in trouble, or if you feel like, man, Jason, this text is raising way more questions and answers for me, I invite you to come talk with me. I was trying to think, like, how do I preach on this? Because there's so many different situations. You know, there's situations like mine, for example, where my wife committed adultery and then divorced me. But there are situations, maybe some of you, I don't, I'm not sure if I know all the details, but maybe there's some of you who are like, I, I was the one who actually committed adultery. What do I do with that? Or there was no adultery and we just divorced. Or there was no adultery and I was the one who filed. Um, what do we do with that? And so those are all really complicated questions and if way too complicated to work through here with everybody um, and maybe not appropriate anyways. And so if we need to talk, if we need to talk about um, remarriage and divorce and how do you follow Jesus in the wake of all of that, then please come and talk with me. And know that um, from my own experience that... Um, um, 
I can relate to how painful it is and how difficult it is. This morning I hear <laughs> there's all these slides. Oh, I'm going the wrong direction. No wonder. Sorry, Melody. You can just skip to the end. Um, yeah. Just wanted to say, um, as a church, that we continue with grace, that Jesus said all this in the context of grace, and that we do our best to encourage each other, to help each other with our marriages, because they were really important to Jesus as we see this, they're really important to God, and they're good for us. But that we as a church do our best to keep our marriages healthy and good. Can I just take a moment and pray um, for this morning? Lord Jesus, I give you thanks for your word. I give you thanks 